everyone, Kirk Hamilton here. We are off this week, and we'll have a new episode for you next week. But um, no new episode this week because we're taking a little break. And instead of running a new episode, we thought that we would share one of the many bonus episodes that we recorded uh, last year for Maximum Fun members. This is an episode from last fall, I think from last September, that we recorded about the extremely strange and extremely enjoyable, we thought anyways, 1993 Super Mario Brothers movie. This was kind of in light of there being a new Mario movie, which none of us had seen at the time. Of course, now the new Mario Brothers movie is out. It is a very successful film that I'm guessing a lot of you have seen. And um, you can now travel back in time to last fall to a time when none of us had seen the new Mario movie movie, and the only Mario movie that existed was the bizarre and bizarrely enjoyable 1993 one. So that's what this is. Just as a reminder, if you like this bonus episode, if you want to hear a whole bunch more of them, like, I don't know, more than 30 uh, that we've recorded since we started making the show, become a member uh, at MaximumFun.org slash join. We really appreciate everyone who's become a member because you support the show. You're entirely responsible for the show existing, and uh, you make it possible for us to to keep making it. So yeah, MaximumFun.org slash join. Thanks so much to all of our members, and we will see you all next week when we're back with our regularly scheduled weekly episodes. All right, take it away, past triple-click hosts. I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Jason Schreier. And hello, welcome hello. to another bonus episode from TripleClick. <laughs> Thank you for listening and becoming a Max One member so you can listen to this fine, fine bonus episode where we're going to talk. We're going to talk about the weirdest movie that I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, I think far. weirdest is a great way to describe it. This is a notorious mm-hmm. bad movie. We are talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie from 1993. And... I will t- I will say preliminarily as part of the introduction I love this movie like kind of earnestly. I think there are some mm-hmm. really cool ideas in this movie. I don't think they're executed well. However, I have watched the movie multiple times. I do laugh at the jokes pretty much every time I watch it. And I'm kind of sad about the way that it shook out. And I feel like there was <laughs> definitely a good version of this movie that isn't the one we got. But talking about it and looking at it is really fascinating, especially in light of the upcoming Chris Pratt Mario, where people are already asking questions like, mm-hmm. how does he get from Brooklyn, New York to the Mushroom Kingdom? Which is a question that Super Mario Brothers 1993 also had to come up with an answer for. <laughs> they sure took a swing at answering that <laughs> question. Although, to be fair, it's not the Mushroom, it's not the mushroom Kingdom, <laughs> well, it's right. Dino Hatton. It's um, Dino Hatton. It is Dino can, I, can I start off by reading uh, Please. <laughs> a quote? <laughs> yeah. This is Bob, Bob Hoskins, Hoskins who plays quote. Mario in this movie. In 2007, Bob Hoskins said, The worst thing I ever did, Super Mario Brothers. It was a fucking nightmare. The whole experience was a nightmare. It had a husband and wife team directing whose arrogance had been mistaken for talent. After so many weeks, their own agent told them to get off the set. Fucking nightmare. Fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't read that in a British accent, Jason. Um, Bob Hoskins has a British accent, which is astounding. Um, Considering reading that quote and then seeing his actual performance in the movie is so funny because he really puts his all into that accent, into the performance. Uh, Oh, man, I don't even know where to start with this movie other than to say uh, (laughs) it's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. When did you first see this movie? Do you remember seeing it as a kid? Because you, unlike no. Kirk, had at least 
seen it before. The only thing I remembered was the Goomba face, which was just kind of burned into my memory. But other than that, I have no recollection. Although one thing, one thought that I had, one takeaway I had from this movie was I feel like a whole generation of boys in the 90s were brought up to think that like being awkward to women is how you convince them to date you. Because this, (laughs) among many other 90s movies, includes a a man being super awkward to a woman and a woman somehow falling for it. And And it turns out in the real world, like, too. Like, that's yes. often part of it. Yes. For some like reason. stammering, like yeah. not being able to mm-hmm. find any words. And it always works in the movies, but it doesn't really work so much in person. If you look like John Leguizamo, then maybe it works. But he uh, is yeah, very, this is... he's very endearing. And I, I feel like this is one of those things where it's like chemistry makes all the difference. Like, I do feel like the John Leguizamo and Samantha Mathis as Daisy chemistry is the only thing that sells that these two people would be attracted to each other and the script doesn't sell it and nothing about their circumstances sells it (laughs) but they're very cute together and in a way that's ineffable uh but yeah it's i mean also mario kind of does the job for luigi in this movie he He does he's 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 like the parent setting up a play date between two kids he's basically like you two are going on a date I can't do the accent. Mario, who is not only Luigi's adopted brother in this movie, but also his adopted father in this movie. And, and it's, mother, which is and how mother, Luigi yes. describes it's it just extremely strange. Um, <laughs> and Luigi has taken the last name Mario as yep. a result of this. Mm-hmm. They're just I just have left with so many questions about everything. Um, but to answer your question, Mandy, I don't really remember much of it as a kid other than that toad face. And I remember Dennis Hopper as Koopa um, because yes. he just is... Bless his heart. He's just putting the 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 d- dearly departed, uh, the late uh, Dennis Hopper is just putting his all into it. And uh, he is. He really <laughs> yeah, is. He's, I just I my other fond memory of Dennis Hopper is he's the villain in season one of Twenty Four, where he plays like this uh, vaguely Eastern European like terrorist mastermind. And it's mm-hmm. also just so so funny and so like wow, Dennis Hopper just really he just put his all into every performance. It's funny <laughs> to imagine that he was actually King Cooper from Dino Hatton in 24. That's what I'm going to choose. That to is yes, and Jack Bauer had to enlist the help of Mario to uh, <laughs> the to break a few legs and and also <laughs> fix a few pipes. Um. So Kirk, <laughs> this was your first time watching the movie. What did you think about it? This is a very weird movie, is what I think about it. I to explain a little bit though of my history with it. I'm very aware of this movie, despite the fact that I never saw it. I was 13 when this movie came out, and I have vivid memories of it being bad of me being very interested in it because I liked video games. And of course, there was a Mario movie coming out. Um, I remember so clearly talking to friends about the de-evolution technology and the whole Devo thing, just that that was a concept that really stuck in my mind, the idea that dinosaurs would evolve and devolve themselves with this weapon and they could be devolved into primordial sludge and just that whole idea. And actually, Jason, like you, I have that Goomba head, that weird puppet head thing, like burned into my brain. Like I very much associate that with this movie so it it it's of a piece with a lot of stuff from this time period i mean those sorts of big set elaborate very weird blockbusters like hook i guess is one or who framed roger rabbit which also (laughs) features bob hoskins from a few years earlier like that this is kind of it's of a piece with those sorts of movies but it's so much stranger and it fails to cohere (laughs) so profoundly by the end that watching it was just 
it's just amazing. It's not surprising that it was very hard for us to track down a version of this to watch only because because it's not on streaming services. Mm-hmm. You have to buy a DVD basically because no one wants you to see this movie. No one who is involved in making it <laughs> wants to even act like it exists, even though there's a surprising amount of really A-list talent involved in, in making this movie. Basically, everyone but the directors is somebody kind of great at what they do who's gone on to have a very successful career. Mm-hmm. And the screenwriters also are largely unknowns, or at least Parker Bennett and Terry Runt are. Ed Solomon's written a few things uh, besides this. But yeah, Annabelle Jenkel and Rocky Morton are the two directors who are the married couple that Bob Hoskins so eloquently described. And there is, I tragically haven't watched this, but I probably will after this. Um, There's a version of this movie that has an additional 20 minutes in it that apparently helps explain some further plot points. And it's called the Morton Jenkel cut. And as one example of something that is in there, um, this character Scapelli, who's sort of like a mobster bit part in the movie, it's uh, so funny. They built him up and then he just never appeared again, except at the end when he turned into yeah, a monkey. I know. But but apparently there was more of a mob plot line where like the mob was trying to destroy the Mario Brothers plumbing business in some form. And that was like a larger piece of it. And there was like more uh, gritty underworld stuff in there. I mean, it's hard to imagine more of it because the whole weird thing about this movie is like, it's like a meme where it's like, well, what if the Mario Brothers happened in real life? That would be so <laughs> fucked up. And it's like somebody made an entire movie that's just that premise over and over where like there's real mushrooms and like fungus, but it like looks realistic. So they're like little tiny mushrooms, but they still have to like deliver power ups to the Mario Brothers somehow and like plumbing and pipes and like going through pipes and navigating a system is also a part of the movie, but it's all quote unquote gritty and realistic and like cyberpunky. So like that has to somehow be of a piece with Mario. I mean, just the idea of having Mario be live action is I think part of what really charms me about this movie, despite myself, because it's like, why would you do that? Why, why would you And the timing so here, real? just for context, this movie was released in 1993. So the most recent Mario game had been, the most recent main Mario game had been Super Mario World. And Yoshi is in this movie or is like a little weirdo <laughs> a little dinosaur. Cute, a little cute velociraptor. And the Super Scope features in this as well. So the Super Nintendo was clearly yes. at, the, at the height of its powers. Yes. They're, they're constantly using the wizard, modified Super Scopes. Which is like yeah. the good Nintendo. The movie. Wizard yeah, because the wizard was before Super Mario Brothers three. I believe that was the eighty nine. Was mm-hmm. it something like? that? I think I would call the wizard a good movie, but it was uh, it had I a like coherent plot. <laughs> so <laughs> I like it. It it's had fine. that going for it. I feel like it holds up okay. Yeah, just like for some other context here, this was released the same year as The Nightmare Before Christmas. It was released a year before The Mask, which is another kind of like weirdo mm-hmm. supernaturalish movie, like mm-hmm. action movie meant for kids. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I I just don't know. I don't know what to it make of it. It feels very 80s in a certain way. Like the fact it that does. it came out in 93 almost feels wrong. Like it feels like a 1989 movie. There's something about well, there's it. There's a just... lot of tropes. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of 80s tropes. Like the two the two kind of like boneheaded uh, henchmen who are following mm-hmm. around and like Iggy bungling. And <laughs> yeah, just like that feels very 80s. Some some a lot of it. Yeah, the the Bertha jumping and the kind of like special effects of that those jump 
boots. Uh, also felt very 80s. I think also, Maddie, what you're getting at is that like Dino Hatton itself feels like yes. it's straight out of the 80s, which yeah. I think is part of that feel. So there were a whole lot of scripts for this movie, and maybe we can link to some of these past scripts in the episode description. I don't know if we normally do that for a bonus episode. So app, something that we haven't done yet. We have hit the ground running. I think personally, <laughs> you want me to summarize the let's plot? describe the premise of this movie and then go through some of the versions of the script that are out there because there are so many and that's so fascinating to kind of just get a sense of how it came to be that that final version is what we ended up on. Okay. Okay. Let so, me see if I... <laughs> Do you want to do it, Maddie? Premise. Okay, it's all well, you. Well, I mean, unless you're volunteering. I Okay, so it starts it starts with a pixelated montage that becomes live action describing dinosaurs when dinosaurs walked the earth and these dinosaurs evolved. And this is the part that I don't think the monologue super explains well, but is the case there is a parallel universe from our own, our human universe with which we are familiar, where dinosaurs went to and continued to evolve. So like there is a meteor that, you know, maybe may or may not have killed the dinosaurs. That's still a part of things here. But in the Mario movie world, it also fractured the dinosaurs into this other world. And for whatever reason, dinosaurs evolved into humanoid beings that, that basically just look exactly like humans but they're not mammals they are born in eggs and some of them look more like dinosaurs than others and um we see this uh this woman running through the sewers at the beginning of the movie she's got an egg and she's uh running and transporting herself from the the dino world the dino dimension to our human world with this egg and she drops it off along with a little meteorite at a uh, convent. And some nuns watch this egg open to reveal a little baby girl who is Princess Daisy from the dinosaur dimension. How am I doing? Well, Kirk? and of course, the way the way you <laughs> know doing, this is you're doing because, good. The way that you know this is because the woman who her, is her mom is played by the same actress, Samantha. Yeah, Mattis. so it, it helps a lot. So it's I the mean, same it's... person essentially. <laughs> A little bit, a little bit confusing. I was at least a little confused on that. Yeah, so that's the the beginning. And let me, maybe I'll. Can I just rush us through the rest of it? Sure. There are, the par- there are parallel dimensions. <laughs> Princess Daisy has a bit of the meteorite around mm-hmm. her neck, and that can allow the dimensions to re-merge, basically, because the meteor that hit caused this split. And King Koopa is over in the Dino world, and he wants to get her back so that he can reunite both of the dimensions and rule them all as the King Koopa. Because naturally, as soon as he gets to the human world, he'll be able to rule it with the same totalitarian hand right. with which he already rules Well, and because he's Dino a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and that <laughs> apparently makes you powerful. So they kidnap her, and then that's right after she falls in love with Luigi, then Mario and Luigi chase her into mm-hmm. the Mushroom Kingdom or Dinotopolis or whatever the hell it's called. There's a lot of action, a lot of hijinks. Then they rescue her. There's a minute where the worlds kind of merge and then they fight him and then they win and then they go back to the real world and that's it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like... <laughs> like, Daisy finds gist. her true place in the dino world. She doesn't stay with right. Mario and Luigi. She stays in, in dinosaur land. With her it, father, who is She fungus. stays behind. Yeah, the until power. he turns back. He turns back into a he human right at the very end. A human. Yes, because uh, evolution some, and devolution. But he's not a 
only not only is he fungus, he somehow is fungus that is everywhere in the entire city that is like well, to okay. Take over I think the whole because city. he is rebelling as his fungal self, he's rebelling against King Koopa, and yeah. so he's growing as fungus to like overtake the city. And right. also, the mushrooms and fungus help out the Mario Brothers when they get Correct. to Dino Hatton. Yes, the they get, the they provide the bombs and and other power ups as needed. So that's yes, it's so it's literally the mushroom king uh who is uh helping helping out Mario. Right, although I think he's called Bowser on IMDb, although I'm not sure if anyone actually refers to him as Bowser, but I no, think, I don't think, think so. they call him Bowser. So it's like they, they, Okay. What? That doesn't make sense cuz King Koopa is Bowser. Wait, something about this movie doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's a thing that I did, which is read through one of the scripts for this movie. And there were so many different scripts for this movie that it's actually really, really interesting. It this is. is something I hear about more and more, listen to movie podcasts. The more I learn about movies, there's always these alternate treatments and rewrites of pretty much every major, especially blockbuster movie that you see. There are all these different versions, and increasingly it's pretty easy to get them, especially for older movies. They're just around on the internet. And here there's a website that we can link in the show notes where they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different rewrites of this movie. And they're all really, some of them are really different. And they're by a variety of different people. There are two screenwriting teams that are responsible for a number of them. And as the story goes, this is also mostly going off of a Collider story that kind of aggregates a bunch of reporting about the tortured development of this movie. Mm -hmm. So I'll say that that's my source for this. I'm certainly no expert. But it sounds like this was just a total disaster from the beginning. But there were times where they had scripts that they thought were pretty good Mm -hmm. that they were going to make. And then for whatever reason, they would drop them. Either Nintendo would get involved and say, this doesn't work for us. At one point, I think they got Disney distributing the movie and Disney kind of got involved. And it does sound um, from a variety of people as though Morton and Jankel we're not the easiest directors <laughs> to work with. To work yeah, with. it's sort of funny um, to read this story and end up siding with like the Nintendos and Disneys of the world. I know. Because like <laughs> largely it's like, and then Nintendo got involved and was like, why is every character suddenly a fire hydrant now or whatever? It's like they, they'll step <laughs> right. in when things are getting really weird and be like, we're worried that no one will watch this. <laughs> I just want to point out that uh, the guys, the, the co-director's name is Rocky Morton, which are both characters in the Mario series. Rocky and Morton are two different mm. characters. Wow, <laughs> and, great point. And Morton, Morton is one of uh, Bowser's children, along mm-hmm. with Iggy, who actually is in the movie. Yes. Um, just, just a strange coincidence there. Food for thought. <laughs> Did Morton write this movie? Did he direct it? It's sort of like Nintendo's president being named Doug Bowser. I know. Food for thought here. Oh my gosh. So Jankel and Morton were well known as the directors, or they were known for being the directors of Max Headroom. Did mm-hmm. either of you ever see any Max Headroom stuff? A little. I'm familiar. Yeah. Tonally and in terms of like the visual look, it actually has quite a bit in common with this movie, mm-hmm. which is a wild pick for Mario, especially now with what Mario has become. But even then, even then. it's not a... A fit for a colorful, <laughs> silly, weird world full of adventure. Like, their vibe yeah. is much more this weird, you know, C- early CG, pixel, cyberpunk, dark, weird shit. Like, it's just, like, not the vibe you would pick, but it is the vibe this movie has. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about the script that I read, the one that I really read through, which is called the Mad Max treatment. There's a variety of different ones. There's the Ghostbusters treatment, the Die Hard treatment, where they all kind of... <laughs> 
take the template of these other popular movies and put the, put Mario, the Mario Brothers, Brothers through in it. There, like you do. Right. Like, I think the Die Hard one is really in that tower because Koopa lives at the top of a tower. He right. winds up taking Daisy right. up there. There's a whole sequence where they go through the tower, and you could see that being a little Die Hard. And it's Nakatomi Plaza. Sure. It's exactly the right. same. So right. the Mad Max one is a really interesting one to read, and that is apparently the one that got a lot of the actors on board, and it was kind of going to be the script for the movie, and then there was a variety of additional meddling that happened and it got changed. It was so interesting to watch this movie and then go read the script because the script is really similar. A lot of the scenes are just one-to-one. A lot of the jokes, a lot of the like the one-offs, the setting, the setup, the whole idea is there. But there are these little differences and then toward the middle and the end, it really starts to change. So the beginning is about the same, but there are these little differences. For example, so Daisy is still... She is digging up dinosaur bones so that she can afford to put herself through college because she hasn't gone to college yet. So that's how she's raising money. Oh, <laughs> well, so in, in this the movie, final in, movie, in she goes to movie, NYU. She's an NYU student, right? Which yeah. so made a little me think bit of a good, a good NYU joke, which is she must have gone to Gallatin. Which, uh, for those of you who don't understand it, <laughs> <laughs> which is most of us, <laughs> don't don't understand the NYU humor here. Uh, Gallatin is the school at NYU that's called the School of Individualized Study. It's where oh, I went, and it's sure. a create your own major program got right? it, so got people it. it was infamous for having people create the most ridiculous majors you can think of like i i knew one kid who had majored in evil and it's like that's his college major is evil there was another mm, person who majored in, in teenage mutant ninja turtles by studying like animation oh and like renaissance studies and stuff like that so, <laughs> so daisy to presumably to be digging up dinosaur bones in new york city she probably went to gallatin that's great uh, great stuff <laughs> My you know, it, the thing about college is it teaches you how to learn, and that's the important exactly, thing. Um, exactly. So in this version, right, she's not a student. That's a pretty minor difference. I should say this this script treatment is by Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet, who's one of the pair of people who like wrote a few of these. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some more significant differences at the beginning that I just think they just make it all hold together a little bit better for starters. So Mario and Luigi, I believe, are just brothers. They are running their father's uh, plumbing company, and he is died and on the side of their truck it says like Mario Brothers plumbing but it used to say Mario and Sons and it sexed mm. out and now so there's a whole Mario thing Brothers, where I think yeah. Luigi wants to change but Mario wants to do things the way their dad did it mm-hmm. and that's just kind of their dynamic as brothers and their father is dead and they're trying to figure out who they are without him pretty basic stuff but makes sense makes more sense than what we got <laughs> It just has a, yeah, it feels a little, Which it's was, very screenwriterly. So wait a minute, right? but so it, did Mario bring up Luigi? Are they brothers? Is he his father? Like, what's going on here? Like, why is Luigi just, an orphan that never really comes back? Yeah, why? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Maddie, now that you bring that up, I really thought it was going to be like, oh, Luigi, like, they give each other a look, and Luigi is like, oh, yeah, my I never knew my parents, too. I, like, it seems like matter. it was setting up for him to be from the, mush, the dinosaur kingdom, too, but no, nope. it's never brought up again. It's so funny. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So, okay. So there's a lot of stuff like that. And I think this provides an interesting insight into what must have happened. Because there's so many things like that where you think, okay, so they just cut this one idea and they didn't replace it with anything. Uh So let me just – I'll just kind of quickly go through some of the differences, the other differences. The big one in the beginning is that the mafia guy, like the mob dude, I think his name is Eddie. Right. I mean it ends up being Scapelli or whatever. But, yeah. Yeah. His sister is Daniela. So Mario is interested in dating his sister. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole relationship there where he is this scary mafia guy and Mario really likes Daniela and Daniela really likes Mario and there's like that kind of vibe and then 
Eddie, I think his name is, he takes Mario and forces Mario to be the one to flood the dig site so that his work can get uh, back underway. See, that makes more while sense. While that's happening, right. So while that's happening, Luigi is with Daisy in the same site. They run into each other. So everything just kind of holds together. Because there's of, like an actual makes, conflict that makes Yeah, it sense. makes movies sense. And Some the characters tension. have relationships. They go to the Mushroom Kingdom. A lot of that plays out similarly. Some of it's a little bit different, but there's you know a lot of the same jokes, a lot of the same scenes. It's the is same the idea. Is there evolution stuff in there? Because that's, that's there. definitely the weirdest, most the stuff with movie Iggy aspect. and Spike right being evolved and they become good guys. That happens. <laughs> a lot of this stuff still happens. So your theory is that the directors were just like impromptu, like changing things on the fly. Well, let me tell you the the remaining things that change, which I think were just cut for budget reasons. When they wind up going to the desert, which happens after all the hijinks they get arrested they run into koopa they have a whole fight he shows them the de-evolution gun they escape they, they go to the desert car. yeah they have a whole car chase and a cop car they get to the desert and in the mo- in the sorry in the screenplay there's like a whole bunch of stuff that happens in the desert it's a whole extended sequence this is why it's called mad max there's all these car chases and there's like big armies of cars and it's kind of like mario kart the idea mm. is ah. that they're doing a whole Mario Kart thing where there's this death race going on and people mm-hmm. are watching it on TV. So that's just a much more extended sequence. Then they make their way back into the into Dinotopolis. Is that what it's called? Dinotopolis? Dinohattan, it but it's okay. Dinohattan. <laughs> not Metropolis. Dinotopolis would probably make more sense. It rolls off the tongue more. Okay. But unfortunately, it's Dinohattan. Go so on. So they go back there and then it's a similar final set piece where Koopa has Daisy in the tower and they have to get in. So some of that stuff is – a lot of that stuff is still there. And then the big finale of the movie – is that he reunites, you know, he reconnects the meteorite and the worlds start merging. And then there's a whole Ghostbusters thing where, you know, the climactic sequence of Ghostbusters where they mm-hmm. shut down the PKE meter and you see all of New York as ghosts are invading everyone's lives. Bing! Kirk here as I'm editing the episode, and I'm sure some of you noticed this, and I'm really disappointed with myself, and I wanted to offer a sincere apology for the fact that I just called the ecto-containment unit the PKE meter which, I mean, my 12-year-old self is so disappointed with myself right now. It's not the PKE meter. That's the psychokinetic energy meter that Egon uses to detect ghosts out in the field. The ectocontainment grid is what Peck shut off in Ghostbusters that caused the ghosts to break out. That's what I meant to say. The ectocontainment grid. Okay, back to the show. Bing! So there's like crazy dinosaur stuff is just turning up in different places. So there's all these kind of, in the script, there's these sequences. Oh, this happens and that happens, you know, in this part of town and that part of town. And you're getting this sense that all this wild stuff is happening. And then finally, there's a showdown on the Brooklyn Bridge between Koopa and Mario, where like Koopa is like a, you know, monster like dinosaur. Yeah, he's not that, I think he's not that big, but he's kind of big and they fight and then he like drops the uh, bomb into him and it blows him up. And it's like, so it kind of, you can imagine that movie and it's a really weird movie and it is a like who framed roger rabbit style mm-hmm. wacky bizarre film but it would hold together a lot better and then you see all of these changes and cuts and weird decisions that they made again and again and again and again until the movie that you're watching just it's just so strange it's this pastiche of ideas that aren't held together by anything mm-hmm. and you end up with some parts that just can't ever be explained like why okay so the whole de-evolution mechanic I kind of love it. It's kind of amazing. You call it a mechanic. (laughs) Mechanic. This is a video game. Um, It is a mechanic. So for unknown reasons, King Koopa has developed a machine that either evolves or devolves any being that he puts into it. So like he's devolved the king into fungus because the king has 
evolved from fungus. Okay, sure, cool. And then he <laughs> evolves uh, his two henchmen, Iggy and Spike, to be smart, which is very funny to me because then the two of them end up being like communists. Like they both get really into like intellectual. That's so genuinely funny. And they like, <laughs> when that start happens. accusing him of like corruption mm-hmm. and like advocating on behalf of the proletariat. Like by becoming more intelligent, the henchmen yes. <laughs> turn on Koopa, which is honestly really fun to me. Yeah, um, really like that. But then also he famously devolves Toad. A character named Toad and other characters into mm-hmm. Goombas. A character named Toad who is just like a guy, <laughs> a, a, a guy. musician guy. <laughs> he has like a swirly haircut. Yeah. Is that uh-huh. supposed to look like Toad looks? I, in the game? I mean, so it doesn't look anything like Toad. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Toad is a mushroom for a head or a, a hat. So, yeah, a mushroom hat. But the hat. Goombas don't look anything like Goombas. I mean, you could say no. about anything in this movie where it's like they just came up with some new concepts. Like, okay. Some things yeah. are very similar. Like Yoshi is a little velociraptor who's like super cute. Like, yeah, he's like a realistic velociraptor, but he's still a cute little guy. But like the Goombas mm-hmm. are like really tall guys with like these huge like wool coats on. Like they look like Soviet cops or something. And like then mm-hmm. they have really and little tiny teeny, tiny, tiny, teeny, teeny, tiny heads. And usually their little teeny tiny heads are round, but like in the elevator scene, there's like one of them that has like a pterodactyl head. Minus pterodactyl it's head, like, yeah. Well, some of them devolve into like a little pterodactyl head, and some of them devolve into like a little like brontosaurus head. I get like I don't even know. Like, like they were all different dinosaurs yeah, originally. A lot of this reminds me of the Fifth Element for whatever reason. Yeah. It has kind of Fifth Element energy. Yes. Another movie I love. Yeah, around the same the time. The sequence where Luigi gets them all to dance in the elevator yes! is like very Fifth Element and kind of lovely on its it own, is. just as a bizarre but sequence. It is a, an example of something where I'm like. Fifth Element, by the what? way, was 1997, so maybe they were oh, inspired by this. They could have been, mm. honestly. Fifth Element at least has a plot that makes sense, which again, can't really be Ish, said of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> More so than this movie. This movie, I'm like, why do the Goombas love music? Like, why not? I guess. So I had a feeling that you guys might not know this because you guys didn't play Mario games growing up. Well, so (laughs) Super Mario Brothers 3 has an item called the music box that lets you like put enemies to sleep, essentially, which is like what this is clearly, at least to me, seems clearly a reference to because it makes them like sway like the way they're doing in the movie. And they're like sort of hypnotized and they like get into a little dance. I don't know if you guys know this, but Bertha is an enemy. She's a big fish, big Bertha, um, also originated in Mario Brothers 3. A lot of this stuff because Mario Brothers 3 would have been and World would have been the two most recent ones so I guess that a lot of the references um, I also read I, I think that the, her boots are probably a reference, maybe a reference to Karibo's shoes which mm. are an item that lets you just like stomp on enemies and stuff um, yeah. although that's a little bit more of a stretch She's a fun side character which is another example where I'm like it just from a screenwriting perspective, it's very odd to like have this character show up just in the middle of the movie, sort of be an antagonist briefly, side with the characters. She gets seduced by Mario in a pretty hilarious dance scene. Mm-hmm. Their wild. chemistry is also incredible. Like you kind of root for them briefly, and then he like doesn't end up with her because he's already got a girlfriend. So it's like, why is Mario macking on this other it's, lady? It makes no Bob sense. Bob Hoskins has chemistry with everyone. He, Bob he's Hoskins incredible. is. 
incredible in this movie. He's yeah. so good. I well, he's like the most stereotypical Italian, and he's British. I I was my mind was freaking blown when I found out he was British. Like um, no lie, he's so good in this movie, though. I read <laughs> on Wikipedia that Danny DeVito was like considered for that role, which it's uh, yeah, it's a shame that he didn't get it because imagining Always Sunny Danny DeVito uh, I mean, as Mario is just. Similar energy. Like, I feel like Bob Hoskins is kind of doing his version of a Danny DeVito. It is. No, no, no. I was going to say, well, I was going to say, as much as I like imagining that, Bob Hoskins is so perfect as Mario that it's just, it, it works very well. Um, mm-hmm. But we did miss out an opportunity to have Mario come out and be like, so anyway, I started blasting and then take out his, <laughs> his guns. <laughs> yeah, I think um, so. I, I recently rewatched Who Framed Roger Rabbit for the first time in a long time because they were talking about uh, Robert Zemeckis on on Blank Check. I feel like I talked about it on the show. You I did, yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. definitely did. Yeah, yeah. It's a great movie. A movie that has no right being good because it has that same manic, you know, off the wall energy. And mm-hmm. I think Alan Silvestri did the music for that. And he, Alan Silvestri did the music <laughs> for, for this, this movie. And. <laughs> This movie is so incoherent, even though there are sequences in it when they're driving and it's madcap chase sequence. And there's this like alto sax uh, stuff uh-huh. playing. And it really feels like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which mm-hmm. has that same vibe. And then Who Framed Roger Rabbit similarly melds that with a really kind of hard-boiled noir storytell- like story style. Mm-hmm. And ultimately like a narrative that is really interesting and pretty good that holds together somehow by the end of it, even though... You know, they don't get bogged down by all this wild technological stuff they were doing with the animation and whatever else. And Bob Hoskins carries that movie. I was so kind of just unaware of him. And rewatching Who Framed Roger Rabbit, first off, you're aware watching it now of how incredible what he's doing is in every scene. Do you remember the scene in Who Framed Roger Rabbit when the weasels come in and he's hiding Roger in the sink? Yes. So it's like this shot of Bob Hoskins and he has his hands in the sink because he's pretending to do the dishes and the weasels are searching his apartment and they're going to kill Roger if they find him. And then Roger will like burst up out of the water and need to take a breath. And then he like pushes him back down and he's talking to the weasels. And the whole thing is just Bob Hoskins in a room. (laughs) There's no one there (laughs) except for I think there's maybe, you know, there's some stuff like little things to tell him where where things are. Yeah. But he's and he's it's he's amazing. It's an amazingly constructed scene. And it's kind of a it's kind of a tribute to how good Robert Zemeckis was as a director at like managing special effects and working with the actor to get him to see what's going on. But it really is also just it's a it's a tribute to Bob Hoskins. He has that twinkle in his eye. He has an ability to just ride out these ridiculous scenes and he does it in this movie too his early scenes with Daniela he has so much charm like Mm -hmm. he's such a believable version of this like you said Jason stereotypical kind of Brooklyn you know ah like this kind of guy but he's a good he's a gentleman (laughs) you know I can't believe he spent the entire two hour movie without once saying hey I'm walking here (laughs) it does feel like a movie that would have that line in it like it does have a have a nice trip see you next fall like there's a few Uh like uh why is this action movie Mm -hmm. one that one doesn't movie. even work doesn't even because work. it's I know. right before he's going into <laughs> like the de-evolution. de-evolution chamber. He's not tripping or falling. I know. Right. 
right. But uh, it is what it is. Um, yeah, it's incredible. The, the, yeah, Bob, he's, he's, I wanted more of him and Dennis Hopper because the two of them are just like kind of outclassing everybody else in the movie. It feels like they just yeah. don't belong here. It's mm-hmm. like as if they brought in like, uh, I don't know, like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman to do like a porn. <laughs> um, it's just like, like it's just like, what are these like top notch like, actors doing, doing in this movie? I feel similarly about Fiona Shaw in that in that way where like she yeah she's great too but, I feel like but she doesn't really now. she hams it up in this movie she, she knows what she's in in terms yeah. of hamming it up and like wearing her weird little corset dress and she's also so, not wait. based on a Mario character I mean I guess right. I was so confused about her Jason. I was like is she gonna turn out to be no she is definitely not based on a Mario like is she gonna turn out to be someone but no um in the movies there's I mean in the games I mean King Koopa, which it's weird it that be... they never call him Bowser. It's weird that he's just Koopa. Well, he, it tur- um, he's not Bowser. Why, Jason? It's because the other yeah, guy was I, Bowser. That doesn't make any sense. No, <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't make sense. So hang on a second. Hang on. I'm, I'm going to rewind to something you said a second ago, which is that Fiona Shaw is hamming it up and Dennis Hopper is not, which I don't <laughs> agree with. I think the reason Dennis Hopper is great is because he's fully hamming it up. Have you? Did, the guy is walking around making T-Rex hands he the is entire making time T-Rex hands. because true. he is an evolved T-Rex. He is like totally unhinged in this movie this in a way hair? that isn't always coherent, but is extremely hammy. I mean, he and she as well. Like they both are fantastic That's at true. being very, very silly. But it's also like you know Dennis Hopper could be doing so much more. So there is something to the energy of his performance where you're just like. Why is this guy here? Like, I, I don't know. You kind of have that sense a well, lot. Well, but there are also, at least for me, there were moments when it's like, oh, this is like Dennis Hopper. Like, he's really good at, like, playing this menacing guy, um, despite the ham. I don't know. I, I kind of saw I saw some stuff in it. Maybe it's just because I've seen Dennis Hopper and other stuff, and so I'm kind of uh, extrapolating to him. that. Yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's as much the performance as it is the directing in the screenplay. Like, they've there's a whole running bit where he's ordering a pizza. Like, there's a lot of stuff with his character. Yeah, and he's like, where his pizza never it arrives. Doesn't make does it? Sense. He's like, and where's my pizza? It never actually comes. Does right. It? It's one. It's a weird bit. I expected it, just, it to come at the end. Like, that's another thing that was just yeah. never followed up on. Like, that's what I'm saying. Pizza. And so it's it's not so much. I mean, so Speed came out a year after this movie when a, like Dennis Hopper is great iconic yeah. villain turn in Speed, and also. That's like one of the great screenplays. If you just want to look at a kick-ass action screenplay, Speed is what you look at. It's just it's it's so well done, and he has a really consistent character. He does exactly what he needs to do, and it's the same thing. Like a menacing villain who's you know oversee overseeing everything and is all powerful right until he isn't, and it works great. And in this movie, it's it seems to me that he was going for it. I mean, he kind of he was trying to deliver the lines, but it's just each scene he's kind of in a different mode. It's just not really clear what he's supposed to be doing yeah. because they they kept cutting this stuff out and making changes to the screenplay to the point where whatever decision they'd made earlier wouldn't make any sense. There's so much stuff like like these little weird incongruities in this movie. I was really aware of the jumping boots when I was a kid because I assumed having seen the trailers and heard my friends talk about it, that they were going to get the jumping boots and then do a bunch of jumping because that's Mario's whole thing is doing big high jumps. Mm -hmm. And then it basically never happens. Obviously, the special effect is really difficult or, you know, it seems that way since it only happens a couple of times. But also, like, there's a scene of them in the elevator where they're finally wearing green and red. Yep. Not to get sidetracked, but another bizarre thing about this movie is that Mario is basically wearing a green jacket and Luigi is wearing red for most of the first half of the movie. Anyways, 
They're both wearing the green and red, and they're wearing the boots. And it's like, here we go. We're going to climb this tower. They, like, high five. It's a kind of iconic shot. And then in the very next scene, they don't even have the boots on. They're trying to jump across that gap. The boots are gone, and the boots don't even come back until Well, they're wearing them again later. later. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so much stuff like that where it's just clear that things were cut and rearranged and lost in the edit. And, like, it just nothing makes sense at all. So every performance has to suffer because of that as well. Mm -hmm. Do they ever explain (laughs) how they get the overalls outfits? I I feel like I missed They were, like, in a locker room. Yeah, they're in a locker room. Yeah, it's actually Mario, like, stumbles upon him and is like, hey, Luigi, like, check this out. And then next, (laughs) next scene they're wearing it. But it's not like... (laughs) <laughs> actually like it just doesn't make any sense none of it makes any sense yeah because um, it's like well why are they wearing the like disco guy outfits in the prior scene that like they make all right. the jokes about their disco outfits that they go in before they meet bertha for that scene that i mentioned earlier which i i just want to like emphasize because i like started that thought and didn't finish it much like this movie i think Bertha's <laughs> really awesome i don't know why she's in this film but i think she's great and like i found her but it's so... not clear why she steals from them in the first place I, I know it's like why does she steal the necklace from them like it there's sort of like a hint that there's something else going on with her like what's her story why does she have her own motivations to get this necklace or not why does, does she have her own nightclub <laughs> Why does she have her nightclub and also her own, like, cache of weaponry in the back room? And she, like, kind of realizes that they're both rebels and it's like, okay, I'm going to help you out. But it's not uh-huh, like there's uh-huh. enough coherency to that scene that that's some big reveal that she's like, oh, I didn't realize you were on my side. Like, even that would be more of a line than they give her. You just kind of have to put together from environmental storytelling that apparently she's against King Koopa and is, like, willing to help the Mario brothers out with their quest which i don't know why that combined with the decision to have iggy and spike kidnap a whole bunch of random women before they kidnap daisy is just bizarre because then you have all these random women in a tower for the entire movie kind of just being hilarious but it's like why is that even here that's why i kind of like that the one lady who's just smoking a cigarette through the whole chase sequence i thought that was funny (laughs) to bertha i think bertha is a character who was rewritten a bunch of times i believe there's a version of her where she was the chief of police or she was a police officer and that's Mm -hmm. why she took in the diehard part right like she was kind of the uh the character on the ground i'm forgetting that guy's name al powell she was the owl al powell on the ground like directing the mario brothers through their um John so McClane there are, she's it's a character pipes. that has gone through the filter of rewrites until she makes no sense i do agree that i love the nightclub scene also because it features was not was uh the band yes. and their song walk, walk the, the dinosaur, dinosaur which yes. is a banger and everyone should listen to that song it's so good and um i just like that there was an extended action sequence set to walk the dinosaur again <laughs> it's, it's extremely a good 80s that whole sequence yeah so felt like it could have been that whole sequence felt like it could have been in like one of those buddy cop movies from the 80s mm-hmm. I would say eight, late 80s early 90s because this just has sure. big TMNT movie energy which mm, was also sure. I think like 1989 or 90 and actually this movie kind of reminds me of Idiocracy as well did either of you get yeah. I had notes yeah, yeah, of Idiocracy yeah, yeah, yeah. in this yeah as well. just like winding up in a weird world where a lot of right. stuff does not make sense and mm-hmm. so then the funny the thing of... is that Idiocracy the whole joke of that is that the world is 
is ridiculous on purpose because it's an idiocracy, right? And in this movie, it feels like that, but it's supposed to, uh, you know, exist according to some sort of rules. It just doesn't because nothing makes sense because the screenplay doesn't make sense. So it still kind of feels like this just completely, you know, bananas world. Well, I guess what they were going for is that it's supposed to be this bizarre world where people are a little bit more nasty and a little bit more rough and tumble. But what also doesn't make sense is that, like, why do they want to get rid of King Koopa if they're all just kind of like these dinos who, like, like when, <laughs> right. why do they all, wouldn't they all feel like, hey, we want to get back to our the world where we should belong and, like, be with the humans again? Like, it just doesn't really make sense that, a, that they all hate King Koopa, B, that King Koopa is in control despite that, and C, that they all don't feel the same way. Like, why is Koopa the only one who wants to merge the worlds? And like mm-hmm. his, well, his and sister, Lena his, uh, his wants girlfriend. to merge yeah. the worlds. Why are and they I, the only I ones don't really know the why there's like disagreement between Lena and King Koopa about that. Well, like, she's jealous the of the princess. Well, I get That's that. The... <laughs> but like... Then King Koopa seems kind of upset that she like takes the meteorite herself and is like, I'm going to merge the worlds myself. But then after the worlds mm-hmm. merge, he's really excited again. And he's like, great, the worlds are merged. And it's it's kind of weird. Maybe he... he knew she was going to die. I don't know. None of it makes any sense, man. <laughs> it's, it's all just. <laughs> well, yeah. It's so incoherent. I've never seen a weirder, like more. Uh, maybe like artsy fartsy stuff, but this is the most commercial, like weirdest commercial movie I've ever seen. It's what? it's apparently there's a quote I was reading from Reggie Fizame where he talks <laughs> about how like it bummed out developers at Nintendo Aww. and like people it took them a while to get past it and stuff like that. I right? can imagine it was, it was yeah. really rough for because it's over such there. a strange downer of a movie. And Nintendo has not made a movie since until Mario Brothers coming this spring, mm-hmm. which will be them trying to i mean presumably redeem the uh nintendo like start the new nintendo cinematic universe and put put this old one behind them but the fact that it took them it'll be 30 years between the two movies says a lot i think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there just culturally like in the way that game video games have changed like the role of video games in our culture has changed Mm -hmm. and the sort of accessibility of a video game movie because in the interim between this movie and now you know it's it's just been demonstrated that you can do this and it can work there's the sonic the hedgehog movies which don't actually do very much for me but i know some people really like but then there's been a million other ones mortal Kombat is like Mm -hmm. a gritty realistic one and then there was wreck it ralph and i think that wreck it ralph is i feel like the tone of wreck it ralph is going to be the closest thing maybe that this new Mario will, movie will do, mm-hmm. where we understand video game mechanics. Like when I say we, like broad audiences can just go to Wreck-It Ralph and get the jokes of that movie, which are all jokes of, well, you're inside of a video game now and here's what happens. And I'm guessing that this Mario movie isn't going to be he goes inside of a video game. It seems like he's going to go to a parallel world. Mm-hmm. But Mario was so established. Like the, there's just this literacy there that I don't think people could assume an audience had in 1993 because it was Video games were pretty new. I mean, Nintendo had only just saved the video game industry like, you know, five years earlier or something. So it really there was just a lot less trust. So I think that was kind of the assumption as well. We we got to just do something that works on its own as this sort of action fantasy movie rather than let's really double down on the Nintendo-ness of it all and make something that works on those terms. Mm -hmm. And they may have I mean. I don't know if they were, I think maybe there were no no win situation because I'm not sure that 1993 audiences would have been ready for 
something that was just pure. This is the video game in, you know, in a cinematic world that we just tell the story of. Yeah. I mean, the thing to consider here, the biggest the biggest consideration here is that most people in the 90s who played video games were kids. And it's only now that adults who grew up playing games are still playing games in addition to. And this is, of course, generalizing. Obviously, there were still there were adults who grew up in the 70s and 80s playing games, too. But like for the most part, this audience of Nintendo fans would be children. And so the movie. Yeah. Like you said, to your point, (laughs) it's like scary. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. It is. I mean, it's a little bit scary, but it is a kid's movie. It is through and through. Um, and now I think you can make something that is a little bit more appealing to both adults and kids um, if you're doing a Nintendo a Nintendo movie and you can just, you can trust that the audience will be there. Yeah. yeah. Although I also think that making a live action Mario movie is a doomed idea if it's not something like The Wizard where it's like real life characters in our world playing Mario and it's not like about um, yeah. that. Like the idea of putting the Mushroom Kingdom, or whatever you want to call it, they are calling it something else, but that's essentially what this is, in the real world is horrifying. Because you have (laughs) anthropomorphic mushrooms and dinosaurs working together. So if you want to make the dinosaurs look realistic in and of itself, you're going to have Yoshi looking like a little velociraptor, and like, (laughs) then you're going to match that with like a fully humanoid princess, Princess Toadstool. <laughs> like, wh- why is she a human? So you're going to need to keep that in somehow. And then well, also, you also uh, the problem is plumbers. that Mario is Mario is a cipher. Like, he doesn't have yeah, a personality. But he's from he's from Brooklyn. Come on. We know that much. So you got to keep that in somehow. So it's like the bizarreness of Mario games is part of what makes this movie not work at all because it's like these are just cute images that when they're pixelated and little and cutesy and have little eyeballs on them they work great because they're all of a piece they're all part of the same mario aesthetic but when you put them in the real world it's like horrifying fungus and like dinosaurs attacking you and then like a princess i don't know it just it's crazy like why would that all be there it's i mean to some extent this is the nightmare of new donk city in super mario it odyssey is, <laughs> like though. this is why new donk city feels like a nightmare hellscape it does. because it's a but it's somewhat realistic awesome. looking city it is, yeah but it's like hilarious for mario to stand next to like a real guy like yes. that's the part of <laughs> new so donk city that's so weird because you're and like, that's the joke of that weird. level and it's a wonderful joke yeah like, it's very funny it's, but it's, it's the thing you're talking about where the minute you start to merge the real world with the mushroom kingdom you know your sanity starts to come apart at the seams right because it's like well this animation style is purposefully exaggerated and like a little uncanny when you put it in the real world it's like those real world simpsons memes or whatever like i was trying to explain mm-hmm. at the beginning of the episode it's like uh-huh. well, why would you put something like uncanny and cartoonish into like it's to have real skin textures and like real hair it's like that's how i feel when i look at like the fungus creeping in this movie i'm just like i don't i don't want to go to the mushroom kingdom that sounds horrible <laughs> and bad <laughs> something else that i think really doesn't work about this movie and maybe one of the reasons we all felt so unsettled watching it is that like <laughs> 
uh, it doesn't really have any arcs or changes, and yeah. the characters don't change. They're all just cartoons. The mm-hmm. the closest a, a character comes to like changing or overcoming an obstacle, um, or anything like that, is Daisy just kind of being like, "Oh, I have learned my place in this world." And it turns out I'm not from this world. But even that, you're never really you don't learn enough about her in the pre Dino Hatton world to like actually mm-hmm. for that actually to work as an arc. So Mario and Luigi are essentially in the same exact place they were uh, at the beginning. Like, when the movie ends, they're in the same place they were at the end, except now they're going to go on another adventure with Daisy for and some reason. And they got reason. to be on TV, and now yes, everybody knows about the parallel TV, universe and, and how they saved the everybody universe. there. Yes. <laughs> and and Capelli is no more, because he's a monkey now. But, but the, the point <laughs> being... that everybody laughs. Kind of like, like, when he terrifyingly yeah, gets transformed into a up. monkey, like, everyone present laughs at yeah, that. I it's that like too. as though they knew that was actually really scary and weird and bad so they're like okay we're all gonna laugh like this is the funniest (laughs) thing so so yeah i think it's like kind of disconcerting because most movies like the the kind of fundamental role of like rule of movie making is you show the transformation like a character starts in place point a and ends up in point b B, and for that not to happen over the course of an entire like uh one and a half hour movie is just kind of weird yeah and when you look at that earlier screenplay and you see they've They've done that basic screenwriterly thing because the arc of the Mario Brothers is they're learning how to create their own mm-hmm. plumbing business mm-hmm. and succeed without their father. And the end is the same end where they have repainted their truck and it says, now we're the Super Mario Brothers. And they've, But it makes sense as part of their arc that they have now formed this new identity together. Uh-huh. And when you cut that it, yeah. out... You, I mean, it's not like the biggest arc in the world, but when you remove it, yeah, you just get a movie that's incoherent. And then that has happened to every single character. Yeah, it yeah. just feels so listless. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. be, because it, Mario and Luigi never need to have an emotional arc. That isn't what the point of the Mario games is. Like, they're always just a restoration. But a, a movie restoration. needs to have that. Yeah. <laughs> but it could have worked. Well, sure. But, but, it, but it could have worked. Like, the, the movie used to have that. Well, That's, they're going to yeah. have to come up with one for Chris Pratt to do. But, like, well, I, I'm not sure they sure will. Like, have this one. Yeah. this yeah. movie is going to be, like, at the very least, a, a solid. Yes. Like, it's going to have a solid baseline. Like, we're all probably going to leave being like, wow, Chris Pratt, like, he really, he really, <laughs> like, his voice sucks or whatever but like at a baseline it's gonna be a competently made movie not like this like it's not gonna you're not gonna leave it just so confused the way that you might leave this movie confused and like horrified and worried about whether you're okay or not yeah and part of me loves this movie as an artifact of that oh, yeah. thing happening Uh because that happens i know it's it still does happen but it feels like this type of disaster it's been a while since I saw a yeah. movie that was this level of disaster, and especially reading about it. Because usually the you just wouldn't release it. Yeah. 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 But we've seen, but we see a lot of games that are this level of disaster. That's another interesting thing is that that happens mm. a lot. That's, that's true. true. That's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's just there's something about the fact that this movie does exist and it is possible to watch it that I sort of just enjoy. Like, I really had a great time watching this. It's an hour and 45 minutes well spent, in my opinion, just because it was bizarre. I just Emily and I sat there on the couch. Just I was furiously writing notes. You know, and, <laughs> Did we, is there anything in your notes that we didn't get to, by the way? Do you want to oh boy. talk I don't about know. Let's how see. great Fiona Shaw is? She's iconic yeah we should so fiona shaw who um anyone listening to this probably knows well might know from andor she's now in andor which is she's great in that but also was aunt petunia Mm -hmm. harry potter yeah and she's in um killing eve 
She's yes, like she is the, the older woman. Uh, Secret yeah, Service. the handler in Killing Eve, a versatile, really cool yeah. actress with a very striking look, and and is bringing it in this movie for all that as incoherent as her character is. The scene where she gets Bride of Frankenstein hair and is stabbing, she's going for it, and I really respect she that is. about it. And she does a lot of like. Um, exaggerated body movements because she's a snake basically like she has a little pet snake and she does all these weird right. little head shakes and like sudden turns with her head to make herself look really scary and they add in all these sounds like little clicks and stuff I don't right. know why I don't know why she's a snake I don't know why she's in the movie but I love it yeah. and I feel like she's really bringing it and it's fun to have like another antagonist who's a woman because it's like not really something Mario games do and like they're already kind of struggling with like the inherent sexism of the premise of like okay like a princess mm -hmm. needs to be captured she needs to be restored to the throne like it's all very like conservative and like a capital C classic story structure way but they just like randomly add in this evil snake lady to be like I have my own plans. They just happen to be identical to the male antagonist's plans, but I'm also here. It's just like, okay, <laughs> sure, I guess. Why not? Yeah, really, in the end, my advice to people is to read, I'd say read that Mad Max mm -hmm. treatment. Like I said, we'll link it in show notes, just because there are even the scenes between uh, Koopa and Lena are also better, different yeah. like there's a whole seduction scene in the mud that's really funny <laughs> where the mud scene in the movie is just like a weird doesn't yeah. make sense. it's just like everything in the movie it'll put the movie into a very interesting context reading that screenplay because mm -hmm. i don't know that the screenplay would have been a good movie if they had just made that screenplay into a movie but i do think it would have made more sense than the movie they made and it makes the movie that they made make more sense if that makes sense mm -hmm. I was just trying to figure out if Lena is a reference to anything, but it, I, I don't think it is. Like, if anyone knows what it could be, but I just don't think, having played a whole lot of all those Mario games, right, I, don't you think would know. Yeah, I don't think she is hmm. either. And I don't think Daniela, who is Mario's girlfriend in this, mm -hmm. is a reference to anything. Her name is obviously not Peach or Pauline, right. which is what I would have yeah, gone with. Yeah, also weird, yeah, that it's not Peach and it, she's just kind of like... Stereotypical, yeah. like Italian woman who, yeah, I, mean, like I think she's man hilarious. Like... I, I also like that they worked in eating pasta in this movie, like they work in eating pasta and they have a shot of just them putting cheese on the pasta. Love it. Well, and a surprising amount of plumbing, which is nice yes. to see. And I like the scene when they rescue, when they're rescuing all the girls, mm -hmm. and he's like, Oh, you're all the girls from Brooklyn, and they're like, Well, she's from Queens, but she's all right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of There's Brooklyn's lot of versus Queens jokes. in this in this movie that I also some, some solid New York jokes. There's a line. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the line? Is it like? Like Mario, I don't think we're in Brooklyn anymore, or something like that. The Wizard of Oz <laughs> mm -hmm. yep, thing. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Classic stuff. Um, yeah. Well. Personally, as we're closing in on the end of this episode, I still really kind of like this movie, even though it's weird and terrifying. I do sure. like the idea of the Mario Brothers tra traveling from an alternate dimension, Brooklyn, into a mushroom world. And it does kind of sound like we all agree that'll probably still happen in the 2023 version. Will the Mario Brothers still be from Brooklyn? I kind of hope so. I'm also even hoping maybe there will be like some little references to this movie because I have a soft spot for it. And I just would personally enjoy if Nintendo was a good enough sport to allow hmm. for that. But I'm yeah. not sure they would be. I also um, I know after the whole Chris Pratt announcement thing, there were a lot of people out there because this movie has kind of 
um, gained some begrudging uh, fans and also like a true cult following. But there were definitely some people who were like, well, Bob Hoskins is like how I always hear the Mario <laughs> voice, you know, like for, for some people, it's mm -hmm. Charles Martinet. But like, I don't know, for me, it's Bob Hoskins. I feel like that's what Mario should sound like. And it's yeah. this movie. Um, uh, so do you have any closing thoughts? Jason, go ahead. Yeah, so Bob Hoskins and uh, John Leguizamo have talked about how they would show up drunk on set just yes. to get through the day. Uh, that's how bad it was. And like all these, there are a bunch of stories out there about how troubled a production it was and how disastrous the directors were. I think the directors at some point were like asked to leave the set. That's how yeah, bad it supposedly. got. Um, so <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's evidence that like when you're watching an incoherent movie, like the behind the scenes story is probably even more fascinating, which is the case with games too. Of course, as we've learned, oh, yeah. the behind the scenes story is more fascinating than the story of the game itself. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the Bob Hoskins, Bob Hoskins causing it, calling it like a fucking nightmare. So many, good, <laughs> so many good quotes. Iconic. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry for him, um, R.I.P. But also, like, I'm so glad he made this movie because it's yeah. brought me a lot of joy. What's um, the quote? The the Twitter quote. It's like this is a terrible time for America, but it sure is good content. Great like, that's, content. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> applies here. Kirk, do you have any final thoughts? Are you glad that you finally saw this movie? I am glad that I finally saw this movie. I feel like a small part of me is now complete. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so it's like you finally discovered it. the necklace around your neck, what it truly meant all this time. Right. The Most importantly, true. you guys, trust the fungus. Yeah. Trust the fungus. It's a good, a good moral, really, for the movie. <laughs> and with that... <laughs> We thank all of you for being Max Fun supporters and coming yeah, along with us for, on this journey. Thanks for making this show possible. Bless those of you who bought a DVD of this movie because I've, I've seen folks in the Triple Click Discord saying that it's not streaming anywhere. So thanks for watching along with us. I hope you had a great time. And thanks so much for, for joining Max Fun. We love all of yeah. you and we appreciate all of you. Yeah, thanks. And that's it. We did it See again. See you guys. See you guys yeah. next time. See you for the next one. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you're listening to this bonus episode, it means you're already a member, so thank you. We really appreciate your support. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.